This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. Um, if it is your first Sunday here, I just want to say welcome. I'm so glad that you chose to be here with us this morning. If it is not your first Sunday, uh, again, welcome. Um, so glad that you are here uh, with us this morning. So uh, my name's Aaron, uh, and I got to uh, spend a whole weekend with a bunch of our middle school students and leaders. And it was awesome, but then this morning I get to be here with you this morning. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a privilege for me to, to get up to be here um, to do this with you. And so if you've been tracking with us, if you've been here, then you know we are finishing up our series, Relentless Pursuit, and it's all about the story of Jonah. And so I don't know about you, but I, I, I've kind of grown up knowing the story of Jonah. But I'll also say, I'll admit that as we've been going through this series, I've been a little bit convicted. As we've kind of d- dived down deep into the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah, I've learned a little bit about myself. And I'm going to share some of that with you this morning. I can resonate with Jonah. Jonah, as, as we've seen in the theme for Jonah, the first couple chapters, Jonah's he's a stubborn dude. Uh, And I can tell you, I will admit that I also have some stubbornness in me. And so uh, I resonate with Jonah. I kind of get Jonah a little bit. And so uh, there's always a story when I think about stubbornness uh, that comes to mind uh, for me. And uh, it's a story that uh, if you have a middle school student or a high school student, they know this story. They know this about me. But I've I've never shared this story with you guys. And so a little bit history about me. I'm, I'm the oldest child. I have two siblings. I have a younger sister, Lindsay, and a younger brother, Ethan. Um, and so I think the oldest child, they, we always have a certain degree, a certain level of stubbornness in us. It's like that oldest child like recipe or something. Um, and so I, I've got stubbornness in me. Um, but um, being the oldest child, I have a, a, a younger sister, Lindsay, She's three years younger than me. That's a pretty normal age gap. Nothing, nothing crazy there. And so we would go through, we'd be in the same schools. Uh, there'd be times where, you know, we're in the same kind of like life stage. Now, I have a younger brother, Ethan, who's, I am 10 years older than him. He's 10 years younger than me. That's not your maybe average age gap there. So there's quite a bit uh, of difference there. So the things that I am interested in at this point and growing up, Ethan's not. No, so to put, put that into perspective, when I was a teenager, when I was, let's say, 15, Ethan was five, okay? Totally different stage of life. So Ethan's not really interested in the things that I am interested in, other than being the curious little brother, right? And the things that Ethan is curious about, the things that Ethan's concerned about, I, I don't care about, right? And so um, there's a, a particular story uh, about my stubbornness that got me uh, in some trouble one particular day. And so being a teenage boy at this time, I'm all about weapons, okay? Nerf guns, airsoft guns, bow and arrow, knives, all that, right? I've got, I've got that stuff. That, that, is, that is me, right? So I could go in the backyard and create a spear out of a stick. Like, that's just my mind. And so if you don't know what airsoft is, it's, it's the, these guns that shoot small plastic pellets. It's not soft. It's, name's deceiving. But I had them, and that was my thing, uh, at the time. And so it would be uh, fairly common for me to uh, be seen around the house and I'd have my airsoft gun because you never know when the homestead is going to come under attack. So you got to be ready. And so it would be common for me to have my airsoft gun uh, 
at the ready. And so this particular day, I remember walking up my basement stairs. My room was in the basement, teenage boy. And uh, so this is the day before everyone had their own phones, before everyone had their own computers. We had one computer in the house at the computer desk in the family room, right? And so I have my, my pistol with me, and I set it on the, on the counter there, and I'm playing at the, the computer. And my five-year-old brother, five, six-year-old brother, Ethan, is curious. And so he says, hey, I bet that won't hurt. And I'm like, it will. You know, because being the oldest child, the older brother, I'm always concerned about the well-being of my siblings. No, no. But I'm like, Ethan, it'll hurt. You just need to trust me. uh, Five-year-old Ethan. Yeah, uh, it won't. It won't. Just just do it. No, not going to do that. This leads down to a bad path. Parents get angry. No, go back and play on the computer doing what teenage Aaron, probably on AOL, <laughs> would be doing at that time. And Ethan keeps going, keeps going. Eventually, I'm like, fine, turn around, cock the gun, pop, right in the back. Drops him like a sack of potatoes, okay? <laughs> and so I, I don't even feel bad. Like, I don't even feel bad. I'm like, I just taught you a life lesson. You're not going to ask to do that again. So I don't even feel bad about him. He's crying, more like screaming. He's writhing in pain. I'm not concerned about my brother, but now I am now concerned that I have now involved the parents who were not involved in this encounter up to this point. And so mom walks in. She questions me. She consoles him, of course. And so I was like, what did you do? I shot him. Why? He's five. He's five. He asked for it. He asked for it. He's not going to do that again. Guarantee he'll never ask me to willingly shoot him with an airsoft gun again. Aaron, he's five. I know, but dot, dot, dot. Like the story can go on and on. And I can, I I remember that story just like is yesterday. So vivid in my mind. If you ask Ethan, he probably has a different version of that story. But for me, it's so, it's so vivid. I remember that so much. But that is not the only time in my life that I have dug in my heels in stubbornness. Right? Just ask my, my parents for those stories because they're, they're plentiful. But I, I resonate with Jonah for his, for his stubbornness. And I, I resonate with Jonah for, for other reasons too. But we see that theme with Jonah. And, and for us, looking at it in our context, knowing what we know now, sometimes we're like, geez, Jonah, like, why are you so hard-headed? Like, why are you so stubborn? It would be so much easier if you just listened to God. But I think many of us, we can relate to Jonah a little bit, right? We, we can resonate with the fears that Jonah had, right? God's asked Jonah to go to Nineveh, a country that was known for its brutality, that was known for its viciousness, and Jonah's like, nope, I don't, I'm going to go the opposite direction. Sometimes we can, we can resonate with Jonah there. We can feel like we have a little bit of Jonah in us, and some of us might even say, yeah, I've flat out run from God at times. So we might even say, we have a a lot of Jonah in us. I would say I have a lot of Jonah in me. And see, up to this point, Jonah never, it didn't begin with a once upon a time, and Jonah didn't end with a happily ever after. And so Jonah has been given this this mission by God, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. He obviously runs. It's a crazy storm. Jonah gets tossed overboard. Jonah's swallowed by a massive fish spit up on dry land, and then he ends up going to Nineveh. And if 
Jonah would end in a happily ever after. We'd never have a chapter four. It would have ended at the end of chapter three. Jonah goes to Nineveh, maybe reluctantly, but he goes to this country known for its brutality. I mean, this, the country of Nineveh, they were enemies of the people of Jonah. And so he goes and he essentially says, hey, you have a little over a month, you have 40 days to change. Otherwise, there's going to be certain destruction. And they listen. And so if you're talking baseball terms at this point, like Jonah's slugging percentage is like through the roof. This is amazing. Like Jonah goes to a, a country known for being vicious, for being vile and cruel, a nation comprised of at least 120,000 people, if not more, and they listen to him. The wealthy class listens to Jonah. The working class listens to Jonah. The king known for his brutality listens to Jonah. And they not only listen to Jonah, but they repent. They change. And it's legit. And God sees this. You'd be like, man, that's like amazing. Like if story could have just ended right there and you'd be like, that was a good story. Way to go, Jonah. Maybe a little stubborn in the beginning, but you figured it out and people listened to you and like, that's amazing. Let's celebrate. But it doesn't happen. There's no happily ever after there. And so then we have chapter four and chapter four takes quite an interesting turn. Because instead of celebrating, because instead of being happy for for the Ninevites, for what has just happened, Jonah is like, he's angry. He's not just a little bit angry, like he's really angry. And God's kind of like, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry here? And Jonah's like, God, I knew you were going to do this. I knew, I knew that. I knew this about you. See, Jonah, he had his theology right. Jonah knew God. Like, Jonah knew that God was compassionate. Jonah knew that God was slow to anger. Jonah knew that God was abounding in love. But even though Jonah knew God, even though Jonah had his theology correct about God, Jonah was missing out on the heart of God. Jonah knew God, but he was desperately missing out on the heart of God. So Jonah's angry because he wants the Ninevites, to get what they had coming. He'd much rather see the destruction of a nation. And maybe we would say, I wouldn't take it that far. Maybe I don't want to see a whole destruction of a nation, but there's times for us where I would just rather see people get what they had coming to them, right? And so I can, in a way, I can resonate not only with the stubbornness of Jonah, but also the anger of Jonah, and so as Didi taught last week, thankfully, God was like, no, I, I care about Nineveh more than that. God wasn't willing to bring about the destruction of an entire nation. And the story continues, and we're going to wrap that up this morning. And so I want to I read to you Jonah chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 5 through 11, and it'll be on the screens as well. So this is what it says. Jonah had gone out. And sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. 
But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So remember, like Jonah's angry at this point. He's already angry. He's already angry at God. And so Jonah heads to the east of the city. And you're kind of like, okay, Jonah, you did what God asked you to do. You went to Nineveh. You told them what they needed to do. They did it. You're angry at God, so why don't you just pack up your stuff and go home? All right, that seems like a normal thing. I am angry. I'm out of here. I am leaving. I'm just going to go home. But I don't think Jonah can really go home. I mean, think about this. Nineveh is an enemy of Jonah's people. They at one point in the history tried to conquer Jonah's homeland. And many, many, many years after this story, they would conquer Jonah's homeland. They're enemies. Jonah has no love for Nineveh. But if Jonah went home, can you imagine this? Jonah, it's good to see you. Where have you been? What have you been up to? I've been in Nineveh. Nineveh? Why? Did you help weaken their gates? Have you been on a special spy mission, doing a little sabotage? Did you poison their water at least? No. Then what have you been doing? I just helped them avoid certain destruction by God. Why, Jonah? Why would you do that? We don't like them. They don't like us. And you just help them avoid destruction? Are you kidding? Go, leave, Jonah. Why did you come home? Jonah's at a point that he's not physically or emotionally ready to go home at this point. And it's also clear that Jonah, at least a little bit, is still hopeful that maybe God will change his mind. And so he heads out east of the city, far enough away that if God does decide to change his mind, like Jonah's like, God, I know you're not going to do this, but just in case you made some miscalculations, maybe if Nineveh does something bad enough, soon enough, you'll get angry enough and you'll still destroy him anyways. He goes out, heads out east of the city, far enough away on the hillside where he can overlook Nineveh and wait and see what happens. And he creates, creates himself a, a shelter so he can sit under there, he can hang out. He's got his popcorn ready. He's ready to go. But God is not willing to just leave Jonah where he's at yet. God's not done with Jonah just yet. I mean, they've already been on a crazy adventure. They've already had conversations and quite a few interactions, but God's like, I'm not, Jonah, I'm not done yet. I've still got more to teach you. I still, I've still got more that I want you to learn. And so God provides Jonah this, this vine, this green leafy plant that provides some awesome shade. 
And for the very first time in the book of Jonah, for the very first time in four chapters, Jonah is described as being very happy. Like he's very happy. Like this is awesome. Like we know what it's like to sit under a a big awesome tree in the middle of summer. We're like, shade is good. Like Jonah for the very first time is described as happy. And in a sense, I get it. We could say, okay, like Jonah, maybe you should have been happy you didn't die in the ocean after that storm. Jonah, maybe you should be happy that the, the, the awesome big crazy fish didn't digest you and actually spat you up on dry land. Maybe you should be happy. But at the same time, those are kind of like undesirable situations to be in. And so I get it. But Jonah's happy at this point. Like, this is awesome. God provides this leafy plant, just like God provided Jonah with a mission, just like God provided Jonah uh, with, a, with a fish to eat him and then spit him up. God provides this, this vine, and Jonah loves it. feels great. provides some awesome temporary comfort. But then God also provides, at dawn the next day, a very destructive little worm that eats Jonah's plant. And Jonah, who had gone from being happy, is now not so happy. And if it got worse, God also provides not only the plant, not only the worm, but God provides a crazy east wind called a Sirocco. And so where Jonah's at, when this happens, I mean, the, the winds pick up, the temperature raises immediately. And if you were caught out in this, like if you were out working, you would stop what you were doing immediately and you'd seek shelter. Yet Jonah is out, he's exposed to this. He no longer has his plant. It's hot, it's windy, it's miserable, and dude's about to pass out. And he's like, I just wish I were dead. Like, it just, I just would be better if I was gone. I don't even want to continue living anymore. This is just terrible. And at first glance for us, it's like, geez, Jonah, so much drama. Like, come on, like, stop being a baby. But let's be honest, we've all been there. We know what it's like to cut the grass in the middle of the day in August. You're just like, God, take me now. Jonah is there. He's like, this is, I was happy. I was angry, then I was happy, and now I'm angry again. So angry that I just want to die. And God's like, Jonah, is it, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? And I love this part of the story because Jonah's like, it is. God, it is okay. Like, it is right for me to be angry about this plant. And I'm so angry about this plant that I just wish I was dead. Like, Jonah is just straight up honest. Like, he's not holding anything back from God at this point. Like, God, I don't feel good. I don't feel this moment. I don't like this. I don't, want, like, I don't like what you're doing with Nineveh. And I'm just tired and I want to pass out. I'm faint. I'm angry. I want to die. He's just there. And God's like, Jonah, what'd you do for the plant? I'm glad you love the plant, but what'd you do for the plant? What'd you do to take care of that plant? Did you make that plant grow? What'd you do to water that plant? Hint, Jonah, you didn't do anything. And this is where the story gets so convicting. It gets convicting not only for Jonah, but I really think it gets convicting for me and maybe for you. Because we don't, we're not told what happens next. 
So God says, Jonah, should I not care about the great city of Nineveh? Should I not care about them? Like, really, Jonah, should I not care about the great city of Nineveh? There's more than 120,000 people there. I can't tell their right hand from their left. And there's many cattle. And you're kind of like, why did God bring in the, the animals, the cattle? I think it's a little bit of a jab at Jonah. It's like, Jonah, you cared about, like, nature. You cared about the plant. But it's clear, Jonah, that you have yet to care about people. Do you care about the cattle? Because they're going to be gone too. And then the book just ends. The story is over. Like we could, we could shut it right now. There's nothing else there. And we're left with this. Jonah, should I not care about the great city of Nineveh? And you're like, what did Jonah do next? What did Jonah say next? Kind of want to know. But I think we're left here because I don't think it matters what Jonah said and did next. I don't think it matters. I don't think us as readers are meant to know what Jonah did and said next because it's no longer, the story is shifting. The spotlight's been on Jonah for four chapters. And it's like Jonah did this and Jonah did that and this happened to Jonah And then Jonah got angry, and then Jonah got happy, and then Jonah got really angry again. And through all of this, God has been working with Jonah. He's been conversing with Jonah. He's been on a journey, an adventure with Jonah. The spotlight's been on Jonah, but now it shifts because the spotlight's no longer on Jonah. The spotlight's on me. And the spotlight's on the church. And this is why I'm so thankful that the story ended where it did. Because if it said, hey, Jonah did this and said that, be like, cool, good job, Jonah. Or Jonah, why did you do that? But now it forces me to wrestle with what I would do next. Because God says, should I not care about the great city of Nineveh? So now it's, what would I do? What would I say? What should God's church do? What should God's church say? And this is where it's so convicting. Because I resonate not only with Jonah's stubbornness, but I resonate with Jonah's anger. Because here's the truth, I get angry. I think we all get angry. But I get angry. And there's times that I get angry and I don't know why I'm angry. And there's times that my anger is... A heavy, a heavy burden, a heavy weight. There are times that I am angry at myself. There are times that I am angry at others. There are times that I am angry over seemingly simple, insignificant things. And there are times that I am angry at God. And so I resonate with Jonah. I get Jonah a lot. Not only because of the stubbornness, because that is also me to a T, but also Jonah's anger. But what was happening in that moment, what God was trying to teach Jonah, and why I'm so thankful that God didn't just let Jonah go east of the city, and that's the end of the story, where God continued to pursue Jonah, was because he was saying, Jonah, 
Your anger is blinding you from the needs of this world. Your anger is building a wall between you and people. Your anger is is, is building a wall between you and me. Jonah knew God, but in that moment, he was desperately missing out on the heart of God. Jonah's theology was right. He knew the right things about God, but he was missing out on the heart of God. And man, I feel like there are times that I know God, but I'm missing out on the heart of God. And I believe that there are times that the church knows God, that the church has its theology right about God, but we're desperately missing out on the heart of God. And the reason that God didn't leave Jonah where he was at and the reason that God pursued Jonah is because God realized that eternity was at stake. Jonah had a right to be angry. But God realized that eternity is at stake. Because here's the truth. When we take to heart the heart of God, people will always come first. When we take to heart the heart of God, people will always come first. We see that throughout the entirety of Scripture. When we take to heart the heart of God, people will always come first. And God was unwilling to leave Jonah where he was at because eternity is at stake. Because what I see in Scripture is that everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere, someday. Everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere, someday. And God's saying, Jonah, man, I am for people. Like, Jonah, I know you're angry at Nineveh. I know they are sinful, nasty, vile people. But God, but Jonah, I am, I am for Nineveh. I want Nineveh to spend eternity at my table with me. And I'm so thankful that chapter 4 of Jonah led us to a moment of just wrestling with this. Because I think it's very easy to say, well, I generally care about people. I generally love people. I generally want people to win. I'm generally a good person. I'm generally a good neighbor. I think it's easy to say the generally. But God doesn't want us to settle for the generally. God doesn't want Aaron to say, Aaron, I'm glad that you generally care about people, but Aaron, I want you to intentionally, in the moment, with your actions and with your words, love the world, to love your family, to love your neighbors, to love people. Because when we take to heart the heart of God, people always come first. And so God's not settling for this generally. It's like, Every moment that you have, every relationship that you have, every interaction you have, Aaron, I want it to be intentional. Because eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake. Nineveh's wickedness was great, and there is no taking that away. 
very wicked place. But God's grace was greater. And that's what's amazing about this story. And that's the encouragement we should see in this story. Nineveh's wickedness was great, but God's grace was greater. Jonah's hatred and anger towards Nineveh was great. And in some ways, rightfully so. But God's grace was still infinitely greater. And that's what's amazing about this story. And I don't think I have to tell you this, and I think you know this, man, life is short. Life is short. Life passes us by so quickly. And God's saying, I want you to be for people the way that I am for people. Because God is for people. Despite Nineveh's wickedness, despite their sin, despite what they practice and what they believe, God was still for those people, and he desperately wanted those people to join him at his table in heaven. And it's amazing. And so there are many people in this world that have different viewpoints than me, that have different opinions than me, they come from a different culture than me, they look differently than me, they talk differently than me, they have a different religion than me. But God is for them. And God is calling Jonah, and he's calling me, and he's calling his church to be for people because he is for people. Because when we take to heart the heart of God, people will always come first. And so envision this with me. What would it look like if we were for people the way that God is for people? What would it look like if we are for families the way that God is for families? What would it look like if we, the church, are for Claremont County the way that God is for Claremont County? In all of its diversity, what would that look like? It would be amazing. And so now, it's on us. It's no longer, what would Jonah do and what would Jonah say? It'd be like, what are we going to say? And what are we going to do? What are the words, what words are we going to speak to people? What are our actions going to be towards our neighbors and our families and the people that have different viewpoints and opinions than us? What are our actions say about the God that we know. Because I don't want to be caught up in being just somebody that knows God but is missing out on the heart of God. Man, I want to be pursuing the heart of God and the heart of God is for people. And that's where we're at. So chapter four ends and it's on us. And my prayer is that we start small because I think sometimes in these moments like, man, okay, I have to love the world. That's hard, and that's scary, and that's uncomfortable, and it's not easy. And it's exactly true. God is not calling us to do something comfortable. God's not calling us to do something easy. But he's calling us to, to do something for people because he's for people, because eternity is at stake, and our time on earth is short. And so he's saying, Jonah, take advantage of that. I want you to be for Nineveh because I'm for Nineveh.
So what does that look like for us? Let me pray for you. And as I pray, our, our team of, our prayer team is going to be up front. And they'll be here to pray with you, to, in, to encourage you. They'll be available for any questions that you have. But man, I pray that we wrestle with this amazing thing that God has given us, this amazing challenge that God has given us in Jonah. Let's pray. Lord, I am thankful that uh, not every story ends in a happily ever after, but it has ended in a way that causes me to wrestle with what I really need to do in my relationships. It causes me to press pause, to think about my interactions with people, and that my, my words in this world, my words to people, they matter that my actions in this world, that they matter. And God, I pray that you will lead us, you will lead myself, that you will lead this church to be for people because you are for people. We love you, Lord. It's your name I pray. Amen. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org. 